Good day to you, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. And uh, again, I just want to add that I'm just grateful for anyone giving their time to listen to anything I might have to say. Hopefully you're doing well, and that you're growing, and the Lord is speaking to you and your household and uh, those in your life. And uh, hopefully we're giving ourselves to continue to mature um, and really number our days and give ourselves to all these things that that uh, require so much more of us than I'm often willing myself to give. Um, wanted to share something this morning um, that I spoke a little bit about um, with with our group here Sunday morning. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be. I'm, I think I can probably get through it in one piece, one segment, but we'll see. Um, I, I know how it goes sometimes, and it's and it's a, just a, a continuation of the theme of of where all of these recordings have been, at least for the last thirty days, maybe more. Um, I'm actually out in my barn this morning, so I have some time to actually read some scriptures, as opposed to when I'm just driving and have to go on my limited memory or um, just personal opinion or, or whatever that is. And so it, it's just really special to me when I have the time or even just take the time, maybe I should be more accurate, <laughs> to um, come out here and just have my Bibles and notes and, you know, just really put a little bit more time and effort into something more specific, Um instead of just my commentary. And so I'm thankful I have this morning. It's a beautiful morning. The sun's coming up on the barn. It's quiet. Nobody's coming or going. And uh, it's just a beautiful day. And I'm just thankful for these days, these times. I hope you have time like that as well, where you just kind of sit and think on what the Lord is saying. Um, I want to title this today, um, Unworthy, Unoffended. Unworthy and Unoffended. And I want to look at a couple accounts in Scripture. Um, if you listened a few weeks back, I don't remember which podcast it was, but I referenced um, a Spurgeon snippet of thought. I have this old Spurgeon book, as you've heard me talk about. Um, it's just a gathering of his thoughts. It's it's very old. Flashes of thought is what it's called. And it's just little, generally just small paragraphs, excerpts of sermons, quotations, um, and I referenced the other day reading one last week that just really spoke to me clearly something I've been trying to convey, and I wanted to read it this morning since I'm actually home and have the ability to do that. And this is what it says. It's very simple. God glorified by weak instrumentalities. If Samson had the choice of weapons with which to rout his enemies... If he wished to do it in such a way as to make the feet illustrious, if there were before him a cannon, a 50-pounder, and then the jawbone of an ass, which would he take? Why, any fool can kill the enemy with a cannon, but it takes a Samson to smite them with the jawbone of an ass. And so when God has the choice of weapons, and he always has, he chooses the weaker weapon that he may get to himself the greater renown. And y'all, that is such a message we've got to get in this age we live in. 
Even this morning, I'm not going to go into it. I looked in. I'm, I'm, I've always been curious about weather patterns and, and tornadoes and hurricanes. I'm kind of nerdy like that. And so I've been intrigued at the power of this hurricane that's now beginning, from what I understand, I looked into it, come up the coast um, on the eastern side, of course, of Florida and, and, and up the coast there to the eastern part of the United States. And I'm just amazed at the immensity of that storm and like how it can continue to progress and hold together. And it's so strong and it's just really a remarkable event. Um, and in doing that this morning, I just saw other news headlines, of course. And I'm just telling you, like, I, I don't know how to not just continue to be repetitive to say that the, the strength of man somehow, mysteriously, seemingly continues to advance. It's, it's like that storm. I mean, I hadn't, <laughs> I'm not like, okay, I need to share with you this, this great metaphor I've been thinking on. I just, I, okay, let's just use what's like right before us. I'm talking about this great hurricane and how in the world can it stay together and advance to such great measure and intensity for so long? I mean, they're saying it's as wide as the state of Virginia that I live in. I mean, it's just massive. It just continues to swirl and destroy everything in its path. And, and friends, can we not say that that is pretty much the, the Adamic nature? That is the pattern of the world that plays out the Adamic nature? the fallen condition of man, and then even regenerated believers who don't quite get the, the regeneration that took place that moves them into a whole nother kingdom. And like so we still live according to the patterns of the world and the domain of darkness that rules through the powers of the air upon this natural earth. It's the same destructive force that is like, it is equally... Um, just incredible, like the power that it holds as it just crosses land and, and sea and it just destroys everything in its path. And the way I see it, like the exaltation of self, the, the, the look how worthy I am, look how deserving I am, it's like this great storm that's just destroying God's intended creation. It opposes his kingdom. And I will just continue to speak on that. I'll continue to teach on that. I'll continue to study scriptures on that until, until something changes, I guess, in me and my trajectory of what God's speaking. And I'll just make it very clear, like anytime we land anywhere, whether it's in scripture or whether it's in topic or whether it's in theme of our lives is for those of us who study and, and pray and, and, and read and meditate throughout the day on what God is saying. Like this has got to be introspective first and then continually so along the way as we look at the world, our generation, our region, our households, that this has got to be a personal introspection first and foremost and then continually ongoing as we address mankind at large. And so I'll just be clear, like I'm not here to finger point. I'm not here to just point out yours or our nation's or humanity's grand problem that I see that they need to change, that you need to change. I'm saying 
I know it exists in me. I know it's present in me now. That opposition, that, that, that rebuttal, that defending, that, that I think I'm worthy of things that I'm not. And I'm still not to a place of being undef- unoffendable. And so again, that's what we'll call this message, unworthy, unoffended. I'm gonna have, you're going to have to be patient with me because I've got a lot of notes and I'm trying to land on what exactly I'll share, what I won't, what I'll read, what I won't read. And so just be patient with me. And I want to start reading just two different accounts of the same occurrence in Scripture with Jesus and this woman that appears out of nowhere and disappears in the record of the Scriptures. She's referenced in many versions and historical texts as the Syrophoenician woman. We know that Jesus is full-on ministry. He is healing. He is delivering. He's feeding thousands of people with just mere scraps of food, like the what many would say that like the epitome of the ministry of Jesus is full on. He is he is giving himself to part of his purpose of being here on the earth. And I would even say like let me step back from that statement one little second and see if I can maybe even clarify that. I would say that's more so I feel like I'm I'm asking myself, okay, well is that accurate? I would say that was more just the fruit of one dedicated to fulfilling the purposes of Yahweh God in his life. The fully God, fully man reality. That Really, the, the signs and wonders, the miracles, the, the delivering of people, the, the healing of the, of the sick and the lame and the blind and the raising from the dead, that was really, I think we could just step back and say that really wasn't the purpose of Jesus. That was just the fruit of a God-man, really. I mean, because his purpose was, of course, to redeem all of mankind and purchase back for himself humanity who had forsaken their purpose and, and forfeited their ability to even be the children of God. So, like, as Jesus came and, as we talk about often, grew in stature and in physical being and in maturity and in a spiritual man, as he learned obedience, all of these things, like the fruit, the, out, the outflow, I guess, of what his purpose was, were many things that are recorded. And of course, it's just minimal, minimal in nature of what we're told Jesus accomplished, performed, whatever we want to say, miracles that he performed, that he carried out. We have probably been told very, very little. But let me get to the point. I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7 where this Syrophoenician woman appears in Scripture. Um, I want to try to not get ahead of myself. I, I have several points, I guess, about her that I find interesting, but I want to try to place them rightly within the Scripture. Mark Well, let's start with the Matthew first. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, and Jesus went away from there. Where was there? He was over there um, with the people, talking about traditions, talking about commandments, talking about (laughs) 
maybe explaining how he walked on water. That would be an interesting conversation. Right before that, he fed the 5,000 people, which was really probably 25,000 because we're talking families, women, and children as well. And so he goes away into this district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came. She came out from that region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, saying, Send her away, for she is shouting after us. But Jesus answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, and he said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, and he said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Now let's skip right over to the Mark account. It has just a few different little nuances and and differing explanations of the exact same account. We're in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at Jesus' feet. Now the woman was a Gentile. She was of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered, And said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having departed. And that's two different records of the same account, and that's all we know. That's all we know of this situation. That's all we know about her. That's all we know about her daughter. That's all we know about what she returned to, what she said, what she did, what she thought. And so I want to just kind of look at these scriptures and and pick a few things out that stand out to me that I think are very significant and good for us today. As we think about what we started off saying, which is unworthy and unoffended, okay? Because again, this is not just a story for us to read to our children at night and say, we need to believe like this lady. Just believe. Good night. No, 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 no. That's, <laughs> that's just like, that's not even the point. Okay, so Jesus was offensive to this woman, right? Can we not agree on that? He was very offensive in his response, and even in, initially in the Matthew account, his lack of response. It doesn't say that he was ignoring her. It doesn't say that he acted like she wasn't there. It just says that when she first approached him, 
He did not respond. He didn't immediately give her an answer, verse 23 in Matthew 15, but he did not answer her a word, okay? So he goes on to talk about, he makes this reference that's kind of like confusing and like, wow, is that really harsh? What does Jesus mean? Is he speaking in a riddle? I think it's somewhat very clear, and I don't think there's a whole lot that we have to dig out in that when he talks about the dogs, (laughs) We're not going to throw the children's bread out to the dogs. Now, he wasn't simply just calling this poor woman in need, this desperate woman, a dog. There's much more to it than that. But rather, he needed to make clear that he didn't come. Let's just say it as it is. He didn't come for her, okay? Like, and so let's paint a little bit of a picture of who this woman is to my very limited understanding, I've spent several days studying on this, and I'm no expert on Bible history. Everybody knows that. I say that with clarity very often. But what I do know from looking into it is, as Matthew called her, a Canaanite woman. Okay, now Mark doesn't call her that, but Matthew makes it clear for reference for who he's writing to that this woman was categorized as a Canaanite woman, okay? She was a woman on the outside of the people of God. She was not considered on the inside of God's people. She was not considered as a, quote, follower of Yahweh. Um, She was referenced... Now, Canaan didn't even exist at this time period, and so why would he call her that other than for a reason to associate her with a certain caste of people, okay? And so a quick look into that, if I can find my, my notes. We have to realize that this, this woman is completely unqualified to come before Jesus. She is completely unqualified. We know just from just real topical looking into this story, it was not culturally acceptable for a woman to address a man she didn't know in public ever at that time period. Like her, her cultural function was to be quiet, was to go into town, do her business, do whatever she's doing, and return home. And so just the fact, there's so many layers to this as far as like how, what's taking place that we just don't understand. We just read it topically. It's just this beggar woman who's desperate and has a sick child demon possessed. She hears about this awesome Jesus and boom, they're, they're just talking, right? Well, big deal, of course. It's Jesus, right? He'll talk to her. Well, there's so much more than that, okay? This woman, this Syrophoenician woman, was very likely a mixed-race lady. She was coming into a situation where, obviously, the disciples made it very clear she's not welcome. She's not welcome here. They didn't even tell, I mean, the audacity of the disciples, they didn't even tell her to go, as we see in different circumstances in the scriptures, where the disciples just took it upon themselves. They actually tell Jesus. They tell him what to do. Tell her to leave. Tell her to get out of here. She's too loud. She's annoying us. She is a nuisance. Jesus, tell her to go. Of course, that's not at all what happened. But Jesus makes it clear that he was not sent to her. She was not Jewish. Of course, what does that mean? She 
was not considered the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I just want to insert the theme here, because what we have to do when we read these scriptural accounts, instead of just reading them as a story, is we have to see ourselves, okay? She, in um, the Mark account, if I can find it here, now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, okay? So who's a Gentile? I don't, This is very new to me. It's been this year where I've really started to understand and give myself to the Gentile reality that I have been invited into the promises of the people of God as an outsider, ironically enough, like this woman. So here we see a unique way to reveal hope for us, the Gentile, to receive what should not in any way be available to us. Okay, do we understand that? And this is really one of the points I want to drive home within this. That is so in is such opposition to our culture, to our age, to Christian American Christianity is literally the poster child billboard example of the deserving. This is God's nation. We are God's people. He has blessed this nation. Okay, like we have churches on every corner, we can worship openly, all these things, has branded the minds of the average Christian American, if they were, if they could, well, as I told my son the other day, if we could pour out our guts instead of just our rhetoric or what we say or verses we quote, but I mean like get to the heart of who we are, I believe we would see that we believe, myself included in measure, we believe we are deserving. We believe we are deserving. I'm good. I'm not a horrible Islamic terrorist. I'm not this. I'm not that, right? In our heads, we have been in a culture that has positioned us to be worthy, Okay, we've done good things, we've gone to church, we've raised our children well, we have morals, right? We're in this godly nation. We, if anyone is deserving, it's us. Western Christianity culture and Christian America. We believe we're deserving. This woman understood the truth. She looked at Jesus this outsider woman, this, and I mean this with respect, but like this no one woman, as far as that day and time culture decided and, and determined, had the audacity and the courage and the boldness to go to Jesus, this, this non-lost sheep of Israel, Gentile, Syrophoenician, mixed race, you shouldn't even be talking to Jesus, woman, walked up to him and called him by his name. O Lord, son of David. She recognized out of her mouth, Messiah, Messiah, Savior of the world. And I have to believe, although Jesus did not respond immediately, I think she had his attention. Right? This Syrophoenician mixed race Gentile woman 
is calling me, O Lord, son of David? Interesting, yes? Okay, she understood something. She saw something about Jesus and she recognized him for who he was. And when, when Jesus said all of these things to her, this, this outsider woman, un, unashamed, okay? Like, can we imagine, again, I love the early church fathers of placing themselves within the scriptures, meditating on the fact of what was this woman feeling? What did the situation look like? What were people saying? How many people were there that were told according to the scriptural account? What is going on here? Can we feel with life what was going on in that situation, that circumstance? Because we're told in the Mark account that there's a great multitude there. Jesus went into this house. Jesus is trying to have some time, presumably with a a select few amount of people. He goes into a house, a personal house, and it says clearly... Which one is it in? He entered a house. He wanted no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice in Mark 7. So people, even despite his trying to get away into this house, for what reason we're not told, people follow him in. The disciples we know are there because they're fussing about this woman and telling her to go away. She does not care. She doesn't care. She knows what... She is in desperate need of. She recognizes that. She recognizes that this God-man is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and he is her only hope. And everything else is insignificant. Everything else waits. So imagine her in this circumstance, in her, not her condition alone, but in her status, who she was as a person. All of the things that she pushed through in the natural to go to the Messiah that she openly acknowledged as being such. And Jesus, what does he do? The very first thing out of the gate is not encouraging. It doesn't solve her problem. It doesn't even validate her opening her mouth to speak to him. He does not respond. And it's almost, we would think, if we really are honest, we would almost say relationally, like in a conversation, what he said next is really worse than him not saying anything at all. Can we imagine? Because we just do not see the offense in the message of Jesus. I think that has been lost. We don't want to realize what Jesus said, what he did, what he called people out of, what he called them into. We just want social justice Jesus who loves us, period, because he has to. He's Jesus. He has to just do everything good because he's Jesus. Well, that's not the Jesus this woman encountered. He says something very hard, very offensive. Imagine going to Jesus, let's say your child or your wife, your husband, your your closest relative, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend has a chronic disease and they're going to die tomorrow. And Jesus comes to your town, comes to your house, 
and you go to him, you acknowledge him as Jesus, the Messiah, you see him as he is, you see him, you have pushed through to get to him, you've gone in a, in a place that you're not supposed to be, it's, it's a closed event, I don't know, I mean, we can come up with all these scenarios, of course, I've already said he's in your house, so we can't go with that, but whatever the case, you go to him, in a circumstance where you shouldn't even be there, and everybody who is there is saying, you should get out of here, shut your mouth. Shut up, lady. Okay, let's make it real, modern day reality. Jesus, tell her to shut her mouth. And then you, you present your request to Jesus, and he doesn't respond. You call him Messiah. Oh, Lord. The Mark account says she immediately went to her knees, prostrate before him. Let's say you did that on a matter to natural man Jesus. And he doesn't even say anything to you. He doesn't even respond. I would probably just hang my head and walk out. I would probably say, oh, oh well, I tried. I'm not going to bother Jesus. Nobody wants me here. They're making fun of me. They're reminding me of what I already know, which is I'm not even qualified to be here and talk to this man. This isn't my house. But she doesn't do that. And so she persists. How many parables and stories are we given of the persistence of prayer? And going before the Lord with our petitions. And so then, a bad thing, in my opinion, becomes worse. Jesus turns to her and decides he's going to respond now. Oh good, I see him look at me. He's going to address me and tell me something about my daughter. He's going to be my help. He says, hey, I'm not here for you. Syrophoenician woman. Oh, what? Okay, Jesus, <laughs> the son of David, the Messiah, looks her in the eye and says, Lady, I'm sorry. I didn't come for you. What? <laughs> okay, real discouraged now, right? Oh, you're right. I'm a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. My grandfathers murdered the people of God. They opposed the nation of Israel. The Canaanite descendant. But she doesn't stop. She came in, in the Matthew account at this point, whether it happened again or whether the account is just described somewhat differently, she came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me. It's the New Testament word for the Old Testament bow down and worship, shakah, which is to, to, to depress oneself, to willfully choose to 
depress yourself down to the ground before another. So Jesus does not respond to her. And then he says, I didn't come for you. And her response was crying out as she lowered herself before the Messiah. Lord, help me. And so surely, surely now, Jesus moved by a heart of compassion, which we know he didn't just do, but he was. Surely is moved, right? Surely, surely now. We'll get to Matthew 15, verse 26 in part two.